Well, today we are kicking off a new series that we're going to spend the rest of the summer talking about the book of Acts in this series that we're calling Multiply. Now, why are we doing this? Why are we looking at the book of Acts this summer? Because River Life is on the cusp of something we've never done before. And it's exciting, and it's scary, and it's complex. We're launching a second campus. And if you haven't heard about our, our new Brooklyn Park campus, we're going to be launching that in September. We are multiplying. And whenever I talk to someone about this, they, they talk about, oh, well, is it sad to, to split the church between two locations? I'm like, no, it's not sad. We're not splitting the church. This is not division. This is multiplication. And, and studies show that one of the best ways for a church to evangelize, to grow, is through multiplication. And so this is the first of what I'm hoping to be multiple campuses of River Life. And so I want to talk about it. And there's no better book in all of Scripture than the book of Acts. If you want to talk about, if you want to read and see how the church planted new locations, the book of Acts is the place to be. So that's what we're going to do over the next 11 weeks, all the way up until the launch of the BP campus in mid-September, we're going to look through the book of Acts. Now, obviously, we can't cover the whole book. So we're just looking at a few selections throughout to see some really big, important ideas about how did the early church go from a group of scared stragglers, 11 people hiding in a room, to a church of thousands and thousands across multiple countries. We're going to look at how that happens. And so that's going to happen in, over the next few weeks. So to kick us off thinking about this, today's we're going to be looking at a, a passage in Acts 1. And two of the biggest themes in all of Acts are the Holy Spirit and the mission of God. And so, so we've got a couple readings here that we're going to kick off with. One from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament that talk about... First, the mission of God, and second, the Holy Spirit. And Pang's going to help me out with these. Genesis 12, 1. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. John 14. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, 
for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Thanks, Fing. So before we, we dive into Acts 1, we need to understand the bigger picture of Acts. So I've got a video here from the Bible Project that, that gives an amazing summary of Acts 1 to 7. And we're going to camp in these chapters for a number of weeks ahead of us. And so I wanted to play this to give you a bigger, broader picture of what at least the beginning of the book of Acts is all about. One of the earliest accounts about Jesus of Nazareth, his life, death, and resurrection, was written by a man named Luke. We know it as the Gospel of Luke, but Luke continued the story in a second volume called the Book of Acts, and it's all about what Jesus continued to do after his resurrection. Acts begins with the disciples who are hanging out with Jesus, who's just come back to life, which is mind-blowing to imagine. And then for weeks, the risen Jesus kept teaching them about his upside-down kingdom, the new creation that he launched through his death and resurrection. This is exciting stuff, and the disciples are ready to go tell the world. But then Jesus tells them to wait and to stay in Jerusalem until they receive a new kind of power so they can be faithful witnesses to Jesus and his kingdom. Then he says that their mission is going to begin in Jerusalem, then move out to Judea and Samaria, and then from there out into the nations. It's like a road map for the whole book of Acts. Then the disciples saw Jesus enthroned as king of all creation. So the disciples wait, wondering when this power is going to come. And then comes the time of Pentecost. So this is an ancient Israelite festival during the early summer, and thousands and thousands of Jewish pilgrims would come back to Jerusalem from all over the world, all these different languages and cultures colliding in the city. And the disciples are together in a house, which is suddenly filled with rushing wind along with fire. Fire splinters off into tongues of fire hovering over people's heads. What's this all about? Yeah, so Luke is tapping into a repeated Old Testament theme. When God's presence showed up similarly at Mount Sinai, he made a covenant with Israel and gave them the Ten Commandments. Then later, when God's glory came in a pillar of fire, it filled the tabernacle when he came to live among them. But that was just one pillar of fire, not many. Exactly. Luke's making an important point here. This is God's personal temple presence, God's spirit that was foretold by Israel's prophets. And now it's come to take up residence in the new temple of Jesus' body, that is, his people. They've become little mobile temples where God now dwells. And they start to tell stories about Jesus, but they're speaking in languages that they didn't know before, yet all the visitors can understand them. What's this all about? Well, Peter gets up to explain that this is the fulfillment of Israel's hopes based on the scriptures. God's plan was always to use the unified family of Abraham to bring peace and justice to the world. But the tribes of Israel had been scattered because of the exile. 
Now here at Pentecost, representatives from all of the tribes come back together and they're introduced to their Messiah, the crucified and risen Jesus, so they can now become the restored people of Israel. And thousands of them start following the way of Jesus. Which brings us to Luke's tale of two temples. So you've got the temple that Herod built in Jerusalem, where Jesus' disciples worship like the rest of the Israelites. But now there's also Jesus' temple, which consists of people. This temple's meeting together in homes all over Jerusalem, and they were approaching life in a radical new way. Right, think about it. Many of these pilgrims aren't even from Jerusalem, so they formed these new families, and they're all depending on each other. Yeah, people would sell their stuff, provide for the poor among them. They ate their meals together. They said their daily prayers together. They were learning from the apostles what it meant to live as if Jesus is the true king of the world. And it must have been exhilarating. But it wasn't all fun and games. Being God's temple is serious business, just like in the Old Testament. So you might know about that strange story in the book of Leviticus about two priests who disrespect God in the temple and then suddenly die. Well, Luke includes here a similar story of two disciples who dishonor God's spirit in this new temple, and they suffer a similar fate. So there's corruption in the community, but the bigger problem is coming from the outside. Yeah, from the other temple. Its leaders are threatened by this new messianic movement, and so they arrest the apostles, they try to stop them. And this brings us to the final story in the Jerusalem section of Acts. We're introduced to a new disciple, Stephen. Oh yeah, Stephen, he's on fire. He steps up as a leader among the disciples to serve the poor, and he would go to the temple courts to teach people about the way of Jesus. So the temple leaders arrest Stephen, and they find false witnesses to accuse him of dishonoring Moses and of being a terrorist who's threatening the temple. In response, Stephen gives this powerful speech about how predictable this whole situation was. Yeah, he retells the whole Old Testament story, highlighting characters like Joseph, Moses, and the prophets, people who are consistently rejected and persecuted by their own people. Israel's been resisting God's representatives for centuries, and so their rejection of Jesus and now of his followers is a rejection of God himself. They get angry, and they start to execute him by picking up rocks and smashing him to death. And as he's dying, he commits himself to the way of Jesus, to suffer because of the sins of others. He even cries out, Lord, don't hold the sin against them. This is basically what Jesus said at his death. Exactly. Stephen becomes the first martyr of the Jesus movement. Many more to come. But this persecution contains seeds of hope, which is why Luke introduces us to a new character here, a religious leader named Saul. He stands over Stephen's dead body and even approves of the whole thing. Wait, Saul, you mean the man who becomes the apostle Paul? Yes. Luke is showing how even this tragic murder can't stop Jesus' kingdom. And so many persecuted disciples scatter out of Jerusalem, and just as Jesus said, they head into Judea and Samaria. Now, the story of what happens there, that's what the next section of Acts is all about. So that's a little preview of what the next month or so of sermons will all be about. But today... We're going to camp in chapter 1. So, the first Hmong funeral that I ever went to was back in 2002, and it was over at the Legacy in Maplewood, if you know that one. Now, it was a Christian funeral, but still, there was no way that this white guy could have been prepared for what I was about to experience. So, we walk into the outer room. 
In the far corner is a big screen TV with bullfighting from Laos. In the middle tables are a group of guys playing cards. And at the end of the table are, are a group of women eating fruit. And I sit and look all of this. Did we walk into the wrong building? Are y'all pranking me? Is this like some big prank just to to mess with the Mika guy? Because this is not like any funeral I had ever been to. Well, that was just the beginning. We went into the main room, and everyone was just sitting there. No music, no service, just a low murmur of conversation. And then out of nowhere comes this woman scream crying at the front of the room. I look, and she had flung herself over the, the casket, wailing. And all of a sudden, okay, I'm out. This is, this is way too weird for me. Nobody prepared me for this. So needless to say, after that experience, before and I decided that she needed to give me a whole lot more debriefing before we went to these Hmong events, especially when we were new here in the Twin Cities in the Hmong community. Because see, if I wanted to be successful being a part of the Hmong world of the Twin Cities, I needed a whole lot more help. I needed the right knowledge, understanding, the right preparation. Otherwise, I was, I was gonna fail. I was just gonna walk out of funerals one after another. Well, isn't life kinda like that? We are constantly dropped in places where we walk in and be like, I am not ready for this. A new job where they just drop you into a cubicle and you're like, what do I do now? You don't even have a computer yet. Or they drop you onto the line and just expect you to start working like everybody else. Or you get married and nobody told you that marriage would be really hard sometimes and even lonely. We're constantly put into places where we don't feel like we've had the right training, the right preparation, the right equipment. I once had a friend who's really good with projects around the house tell me, and I am not. I'm getting a little better as I, as I do things, but, but he said, you know, the key to be able to do projects around the house is having the right tools. Now, I've learned there is another key. The key to projects around the house is having the right tools and YouTube. According to Meng Chulu, you can do almost anything with the right tools and YouTube. But life's kind of like that. And you know, the truth is we see the exact same thing in Scripture. When we look at the very first book of Acts, we see this same thing that the disciples faced. And so that's what we're going to look at today. Just the first eight verses of the book of Acts. And Jesus gives them a huge task but he also gives them the tools to accomplish it. So let's start with verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So we should probably back up a little bit. First, is the Acts of the Apostles is the second part to the Gospel of Luke. Okay? This is the end game to the Infinity War. Okay? So it's one long story that, wrote, that Luke wrote in two parts. 
Now, it also appears, it seems that Luke wrote this for a wealthy benefactor, maybe a sponsor or a patron named Theophilus. So that's what we can pick up beginning with that first line. And then he goes on to say that Luke refers to his first book, the gospel. He says, he says, in my former book, in the first half, I wrote of all that Jesus began to do and teach. And I love the little implication. He slides right in there. The book of Luke was all that Jesus began to do and teach. This book is all that Jesus continues to do and teach. And here's the amazing thing, is because that statement doesn't just cover the 30 years that's described in the book of Acts. Because Jesus continues to do and teach long after that, and long after that. And 2,000 years later, Jesus is still in your life and in my life doing and teaching. That means, in a very real way, you are part of the book of Acts. You are part of what, what Jesus Christ continues to do and teach. You are part of the book of Acts. So let's continue. Verse 3. After his suffering, the crucifixion, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, believing that Jesus Christ rose from the dead was critical for this movement. It was critical. That's why Jesus physically appeared. He didn't just Casper the friendly ghost around there. No, he physically appeared, and he gave convincing proofs. One, two of them? No, 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 no. Many of them. Forty days worth of them. And then he talked, and he taught. And this was going to be the last time that Jesus taught his disciples. And so he talked about the most important thing he could talk about, the kingdom of God. Now, pay attention to that because it's going to come back in a little bit. Let's go to verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus told him, wait in Jerusalem. Okay, I promised a gift, an advocate, the Holy Spirit. And you heard about that in the, the verse out of John 14. That was Jesus promising the Holy Spirit. But they haven't gotten the gift yet. It's not quite Christmas Day. It's a couple days before Christmas already. They haven't gotten the gift yet. And Jesus told them that, that you, you know about baptized, getting baptized by John for the forgiveness of sins. But I have a new baptism for you. I have a new way to be united with me, with Christ. I have a new way for you to experience the fullness of life with God. And it has to do with the Holy Spirit. So this is a different type of baptism. And it's a new way to be immersed in God. And that is with the Holy Spirit. So the apostles clearly did not understand this. Because they said, then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, 
are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And meanwhile, I can just see Jesus just face palm, be like, ugh. Okay, let's start over again. Because remember what Jesus was talking about them, talking with them for 40 days? The kingdom of God. And they were focused on the kingdom of Israel. They, they wanted that new power, that new union with God. And they thought that looked like the kingdom of Israel. Because they wanted it for their people. They wanted it for their land. They wanted it for their temple. But that wasn't the mission God had for them. So Jesus responds in verse 7. It is not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set by his own authority. And then comes, and then comes the most important verse in, in these eight verses here. Here it is, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. See, God had a mission for his disciples, to be his witnesses. And what do witnesses do? They tell the truth of what they've seen. They tell the truth of what they know. And that's what Jesus was calling his disciples to do. Tell the truth about what you've seen. Tell the truth about what you know. That Jesus Christ is our promised Messiah and he is risen from the dead. He is alive. That was the mission. To go out and first tell it, tell it to the center of the Israelites, Jerusalem. And then go out to the neighboring areas, the neighboring regions, Judea, Samaria, and then keep going to the ends of the earth. See, God had a mission for them. And God promised to give them the power they needed to accomplish that mission. God had a mission for them, and God promised to give them the power they needed to accomplish it, the Holy Spirit. See, this was a mission they could not do on their own. They could not do this on their own. They needed the Holy Spirit. But see, God's not done with his mission. His mission didn't end 30 years after Jesus saying that. God's mission is the same today as it was then. See, God has a mission for you. But you need his Holy Spirit in you. God has a mission for you. But you need his Holy Spirit in you. Now, you can be in one of four places on this map, on this little Venn diagram here. You could land in one of four places. So first, you could be here. You're outside of God's mission and not connected to God's spirit. Maybe you don't really think about God's mission. You got enough to worry about with your job and your family and, and whatever you do for fun. You got enough to worry. You don't really think about God's mission. And maybe you don't really have an understanding of 
who the Holy Spirit is. Maybe you've even been told the Holy Spirit isn't for today like he was back then. And maybe you're camping out here. See, in Bible terms, you're stuck in the book of Luke. See, you love you some Jesus. Jesus' life, death, resurrection, awesome. But you need to get out of the book of Luke and into the book of Acts. You need to jump into God's mission for the world, his mission for you. So maybe this is you. Now, there's another place you could be. You could be here. Maybe you're like, okay, I get it that God has a mission. Man, God has a mission for me, my family, to be a witness to others, to tell people about what I've seen and what I know. And you're living God's mission. You're being a witness, making disciples, bringing hope and healing into a hurting world. Okay? But you're doing it in your own strength. You're trying really hard. And when things go south, your answer is, I'm going to amp up. I'm going to try harder because you're doing it by your own strength. See, and the problem is you will wear out. Trust me, I know. I spent tar far too much time camping in this orange circle. Back in, in my youth ministry days and even here now as a pastor. I spent too much time trying to do things on my own power and not filled and connected and fed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's a constant struggle and a constant growth area for me. Well, if this is you, then I want to encourage you to do what I do on a pretty regular basis. Invite the Holy Spirit to take greater control over your life. Invite the Holy Spirit to take greater control over your life. And Come back the next two weeks, because we're going to spend three weeks here talking about the Holy Spirit. So you're going to hear a whole lot more. You need to be here the next couple weeks. Okay. There's another place you could be. You could be here. You're living in the Spirit. You understand that God's the one who gives you power. But you're not on God's mission. You're using that power for yourself. You're building your family your career, your brand, your reputation, your hobbies. You've forgotten about God's mission. This is where the disciples were in that moment. This is the disciples wanting to build the kingdom of Israel. And maybe for you, it's your family's kingdom, your clan's kingdom, your job's kingdom but you're forgetting that God has a mission for you. God has a mission for you that is not about you. Now, there's one more place you can be, and it's right here. There's one more place you can be, and that is right there in the middle. Right there in the middle. This is where River Life wants to help you live. Set up camp. Live in that perfect intersection of God's mission and His Spirit. This is you living out God's mission. Whether His general mission or maybe His specific mission for you. You're pouring your life into it. And 
you are filled with the Holy Spirit. You are communing. You are, you are seeking the Holy Spirit, more of him. And you're doing it by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the best place to be. Union with Christ, right here. Living out on heaven, in, on earth as it is in heaven, like we prayed earlier, right here. The abundant life, the life more abundant that Jesus promised, right here. And that benediction you receive every, every week, right here. In the union of God's mission and God's spirit. And that's what I want to help you. That's what River Life wants to help you live, is right there. So, what does this look like? What, what could this look like for you in the life of a normal person? Well, there's a great, I, I want to wrap up with a great quote from Francis Chan. And this is out of his book, Forgotten God, Reversing Our Tragic Neglect of the Holy Spirit. Here it is. I don't want my life to be explainable without the Holy Spirit. I want people to look at my life and know I couldn't be doing this on my own power. I want to live in such a way that I am desperate for him to come through. And that if he doesn't come through, I am screwed. Francis Chan. Imagine that. Think about us collectively living in a way that if the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, that if God doesn't come through, we have such dependence on Him we, that we are, without Him, we are failures. That's the church I want to pastor. That's the church I want to lead. That's the church I want to multiply into Brooklyn Park. A congregation of people who are courageously living because they, are, they believe in Christ and have faith in God and are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And to say that we could not do this on our own. I think it would be tragic if six months from now we're, we're going, BP campus is going, and all of them say, man, man, Pastor Greg is such a good leader. He's made all of this work. They're like, ah. Oh. I really do that? Was I so neglectful of the Holy Spirit that I did this all on my own power and on our power and the ministry team's power? Nah, that's not what I want. I want people to look at River Life. It's River Life St. Paul, River Life Brooklyn Park, wherever River Life is after that, and say there is no way this could happen without the power of the Holy Join me in prayer. God, thank you for this gift that you have given us in the Holy Spirit. And I thank you for every follower here in person and watching us online. That they, if they believe in Christ, they have your spirit in them. Lord, so first I pray, help us all understand and buy into and love your mission. Let us be on mission for you, not us. Lord, so I pray for every kingdom that is being built right here 
of the people watching in person or online. Every kingdom represented, I pray, tear it down. Tear down our kingdoms, Lord, and build yours. Lord, I pray for every person here, Lord, that they, they be not just have the Holy Spirit's presence in them, but they be filled with the Holy Spirit in a way that makes it unmistakable that it is you, not us. It is you, not them. The Holy Spirit, we pray to you today. Empower us. Fill us. Lord, we let you, me, we let you into spaces that we have not let you in before. We open the doors of those locked rooms that we want to keep hidden and secret. Holy Spirit, we invite you into those rooms today. Let us be on mission and empowered by the Holy Spirit. I pray in your name.